And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the busy intersection where faith and reason meet and many times agree. I'm Doug Keck. I'm your gatekeeper here at the place it all began in Irondale, Alabama, as Father would call it, the Mothership, started by the one and only Mother Angelica, of course. And you can email your questions to us at spitzersuniverse at EWTN.com always and at any time. And check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, Magis Center, Purposeful Universe, SpitzerCenter.org. We feature those throughout the program. So if you miss the address, you can catch it later. And Father Spitzer's Universe, speaking of catching it later, is always available on our EWTN YouTube channel and our EWTN On Demand page. We recently added to our On Demand page the original EWTN documentary. This is a great one. You should check it out, Faith of Our Fathers. It's a riveting film. Shot in Ireland tells the story of a Catholic priest defending the faith against 19th century English penal laws and the Irish community determined to protect him. You can see it now and for free and on demand. It's a really, really fine film and we're very, very proud of it and I think you will be too when you watch it. We'll continue with Father's book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, which is available through our catalog as always. And of course, the book of the month for September is again, 30 Marian Eucharistic Visits. Adoring Jesus with His Mother by our friend Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle, proudly published by EWTN. And speaking of being proud, each week we're proud to present the one and only Father Spitzer. Great to see you. <laughs> Goodness. I, I, I would say it's great to see you, Doug, but it's great to be with you. I so, know. Uh, <laughs> someday I'll learn. Someday I'll learn. <laughs> but if you could kick things off with a, with a, a prayer, that'd be great, you Father. Bet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all of your blessings and gifts to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience and, and staff, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, Pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Absolutely. Uh, let's get to a couple of uh, articles before we get to the questions and our topic. Uh, this was an interesting sure. story. Uh, American Medical Association floats uterus transplants for biological men. This was a story that was published in Breitbart a couple of weeks ago. It says, the American Medical Association's floating taxpayer-funded uterus transplants is a solution for transgender women, biological males who believe they are female, to help consolidate their chosen gender. The suggestion was posed in a June issue of the American Medical Association's Journal in Ethics. Uh, and the entitled, Should Uterus Transplants for Trans Women and Trans Men Be Subsidized? That not to, whether we should do them, but whether they, the government should be paying for them, apparently, was the major question they had. goes yeah. on to say, trans women yeah. lack a trait, the ability to wear, uh, bear children, that may cause them to experience psychological dissonance in a way that undermines their health and well-being. Uh, it sounds like they have other problems besides that. However, the analysis adds that the uterus transplant may be viewed as less important than other trans surgeries, such as facial surgery, aimed to feminize features, because that apparently is, is the biggest issue most of them have. It uh, goes on to say here, or quote, Fox News medical contributor Dr. Marty Macari. Uh, McCary is among those who has questioned the AMA. It's odd that the AMA is choosing to really focus on this activist position rather than fund the important research we need 
regarding transgender medicine? What's the regret rate after transition surgery? What's the long-term complication of these kind of rate of hormones, he asked, concluding that such studies are just not being done. Your yeah. thoughts? Well, I think Dr. McCary is the only one with any common sense yeah. in the entire uh, spectrum there. Mm -hmm. I mean, if the AMA is really going to say that this is ethical in the face of all the studies that have been done, uh, not only in Europe, but also studies in the United States, but yes, a lot of them, most of the big ones and long-term mm -hmm. ones done in Sweden and in the Netherlands, I'm telling you, I, I just think the AMA has lost their entire, not just their, their, their sense of, of medical and ethical decency, they, they've lost their sense completely, uh, you know, their common sense mm -hmm. and, and uh, their ability to, to think thoroughly. Let's just review, you know, statistics we've said many times. Mm -hmm. I think it is very well established that the suicide rate of transgender um, uh, people who have gone through sexual reassignment surgery is about 20 times higher um, than um, uh, the general population. Uh, so it, it goes up, you know, hugely, mm -hmm. um, you know, almost to the point where it might encompass a third of, of that population. Now, this cannot, there's obviously something terribly wrong with this. To, to, the idea of recommending something mm -hmm. that could truly uh, impel somebody to commit suicide in one-third of that population and to say that this is a medically ethical procedure that now you want to subsidize and even promote it more actively by uh, uh, uterine transplants. I mean, we've taken one absurdity and replaced it, you know, with a, a more compounded one that's a thousand times worse. And let's suppose you could even have a child through this transplant surgery. Do you really believe that that child, uh, you know, uh, that there would not be any ethical issues linked mm -hmm. with this, that there would not be any associations. You, listen, you're taking these, uh, these hormones, you're taking female hormones, you're putting them into a body that has a Y chromosome. All the cells in your body, uh, a man's body, have these Y chromosomes uh, in them. They're not meant to be receiving female hormones in the high degree that they are. They're meant to be receiving testosterone and other male hormones. And you're now going to say this is uh, going to be healthy for the progeny that comes from it? Mm -hmm. It's terribly unhealthy for the person who has this. You start loading those uh, female hormones into a male body, you get triple the mortality rate. Triple the mortality rate the minute you start that therapy for all reasons. It could be emotional reasons, physical reason. Of course you can expect that there's going to be greater incidence of cancer. Of course you can expect that there are going to be greater incidence of other kinds of physical problems. Hmm. Of course you can expect that there's going to be stressors that are taking place in the physical brain. These cells, you know, they're, they're indomitably male. That white chromosome, you can't make it go away. And, and so uh, what do you, you just keep loading it up with stuff you just know is going to actually, it does have a tripling effect on the mortality rate. And you think that now you're going to produce progeny from this and there's not going to be any effects? The American Medical Association has lost its mind. And this is the proof of it. They're willing to ignore all the European studies that have been done, 50-year studies in Holland, 30-year studies in Sweden. And, and, and they're going to actually sanction this as possibly medically ethical? I mean, all I can tell you is I 
am absolutely flabbergasted, as you can tell. I, I, I don't believe it. We're losing our minds. Right, right. And, and, you know, here and, and, you know, this is just such an activist position. Please follow Dr. McGarry. He's the only one who has right. any common sense that's listed in that entire article. Absolutely. Amen. Stop. Right, so, yeah. I mean, <laughs> wow. It seems like we got the, it's the AMA is the, like, uh, uh, American Medieval Association or something. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, uh, yeah. it seems to be. Uh, yeah, no, this is like, this is way, nuts. I mean, you know, we have, we have definitely entered the dark zone right. and to call it medically ethical. Right. Uh, what does the word ethics mean? I thought it was meaning that we're orienting ourselves toward the good, right. not orienting ourselves to some sort of self-destructive right. narcissism, which now is going to be, you know, as it were, impaled, right. uh, you know, uh, into the to the progeny of, of this, you know, bizarre Frankensteinian creation. This, this is like, they're, they're just, the absurdities right. are just... Absolutely. You know, rank. I saw an I interview. It. I saw an interview recently, and it was a, a a person. It was an interview asking about you know the trans and the care to a particular doctor, and uh, a female doctor. And the question was about you know well what about you know it's early and these are children and you know the parents and and basically the doctor's response was uh, well. Uh, that's all true, but otherwise you're dealing with these people wanting to commit suicide. And that's the lever that's being hung over the head of parents, which is to say, if you don't let them have this gender-affirming care, they're going to just commit suicide, which is just not true. But that is patently false. Right. That is not what the studies find. The studies find that the anxieties that cause the desire for, um, uh, you know, a, a sexual reassignment surgery or to get gender-affirming therapy, those anxieties are not related to any kind of a biological condition of a man being trapped in a woman's body or a woman being trapped in a man's body. Or should I say, a boy being trapped in a girl's body or a girl being trapped in a, uh, in a boy's body because, of course, this is being recommended for pre-adolescence. The, the idea, though, is patently false that there's any suicidal, uh, you know, proof of uh, suicidal connection. Yes, there can, of course, be, um, you know, uh, people who say, I'd just rather be dead than not um, have my surgery. But that's after they've already been encouraged to have it, and they think it's the solution to their anxieties. What is required, what really works, is therapy for the real reasons for the anxiety. So if they have been sexually and physically abused when they were children, they need therapy to deal with that. And that 40 to 60% of the time, the children um, do have, uh, you know, there is physical and sexual abuse in the background. That needs to be therapeutically visited as a separate issue. Secondly, if there's extreme anxiety in the household and the child is blaming himself or herself for the anxiety and thinks that they're the wrong gender and that's what's causing everybody to be mad and it's their fault that everybody's mad in, in, in the household, et cetera, et cetera. If that's what's going on, that needs to be treated as a, as a separate issue. If, if there's latent homosexual desires that are basically combining with those two other anxieties and those so self-hatred becomes an issue, that needs to be treated. But the idea of a man being, you know, trapped in, or a boy 
boy being trapped in a girl's mm -hmm. body, but a boy being a girl being trapped in a boy's body. If you know, there's no such thing as this kind of anxiety. So the idea of just giving them hormones to treat the wrong thing—that's like saying, "Oh, uh, you have measles, but because uh, you don't want to be treated for measles, you would rather be treated for mumps." Okay, we'll go ahead and give you mumps vaccination. Uh, so that you can overcome your measles because that's what you tell us you need in mm. order to get a proper treatment. This is so absurd. The medical community has just lost its mind and, and frankly, it's lost its heart, but above all, it's lost its conscience. Right. And you know, we have to sit down and say, where is the real suicide rate increasing? You start the gender affirming therapy and then you wait five years and that's when you will see the uh, suicide rates coming. You get the sexual reassignment surgery and then wait five years and then you'll start to see that the real suicide rate there. So if parents feel that you know their children will commit suicide if they don't do this, they gotta look at the statistics. Right. And these medical doctors, supposedly, they got to present the real statistics about what's really going to happen with suicides five to ten years out when they're going to have a, right. you know, if they get a sexual reassignment surgery, a 20 times increase in the suicide rates. This, this is really, I, I think, you know, the, if medicine is really promoting this, if this is what doctors think after reading all of those European studies, I mean, what are, why did Great Britain change their mind? Why did Finland change their mind? Why did Sweden and Norway change their mind? Why? Why? Because the studies are showing indominantly that the suicides are happening when the gender affirming therapy is given, not when they're not when the Jennifer there is not being given. This is, I, I just, I can't believe it. I just can't believe right. what I'm hearing. Uh, I just think it's utter propaganda. I think we, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, our, our politics have completely right. overcome right. any degree of addressing the it's, truth it's, it's, that can uh, be found in good medically tested right. studies. It's ideology Sorry. combined with profit motive. And yep. the other thing, that it's, it's yep. virtually child abuse because the, these people who are falling into this category, I think the number is about, there's a very high percentage of them have been diagnosed on the autism spectrum, I think up to 30%. Yep. So you're dealing with people yep. who are dealing with other issues right now and then Correct. are being sucked into Correct. this as somehow what they're, like Correct. you said, what the answer to their issue is. Yeah. And they're being told it's the answer, mm -hmm. and that's why they feel suicidal suddenly when before they didn't. You say, here's the answer to your, your, your problem, and then, of course, but you can't have it. So, of course, now I feel suicidal because I can't have any solution to my anxieties. They don't tell them the true solution right. to the anxieties. Well, if you tell people one, you're suicidal, and then, of course, they figure that's a good, then people will say, oh, okay, then we better do it. Yeah. You know, absolutely, yeah. as, as a way to leverage exactly. it. Here's another article on a, on a totally different subject by Ann Hendershot. She's always interesting in a Crisis Magazine article. She talks about something called performative Catholicism, okay? And she says, performative Catholicism has become the norm today, and the rosary is the primary tool in performance. She goes on, this is her opinion, President Joe Biden loves to show off his rosary despite the fact that the president has promoted the most extreme pro-abortion policies in history. I mean, that, that's just a fact. But he also, when he goes to Mexico, makes sure he visits Our Lady of Guadalupe. That's an interesting uh, dichotomy right there. And she talks about even the pro-life activists re recently in court. Uh, and one of the people testifying them from the uh, Planned Parenthood, I think it was, or at least the abortion facility may not have been planned, 
testifying the, against the pro-life defendants, one of the abortion providers' employees, a woman who's been working on at the late-term abortion clinic for more than three decades, told the court that she showed her rosary beads to the pro-life demonstrators during the protest at the clinic in 2020. She claimed that she told them uh, that I'm a Catholic, it's my whole life. And goes on to talk about, and like Joe Biden, who's done more to expand the abortion than any previous president, the rosary-clutching abortion worker appears to see no contradiction between calling himself Catholic and providing late-term abortions to women in her abortion facility. And the question is, that she points is, the question remains, what does it really mean to be Catholic? Well, you know, two thoughts occur to me. I, I would hate to get to the pearly gates and have the Blessed Virgin Mary sitting there greeting me, uh, or at least, uh, you know, um, ostensibly, and just say, I see that you have used, uh, you know, this rosary, which I gave to people uh, essentially to avoid the dark side, mm -hmm. to become more united with me, with, the Lord, with my son, uh, with, with uh, God, his father, you know, our father. Uh, I see that you've used that now to promote the dark side. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I mean, you, you, you must admit that abortion, truly the kill, killing of an innocent person, you know, if you, if you want a portal to the evil spirit, that's a really good one. Uh, one of um, you know, somebody on, on the EW10 show, I forget which one, mm -hmm. said, you know, abortion is like the sacrament of the devil. I, right. I, I t totally agree mm -hmm. uh, that that is, you know, but I have to put the, the word sacrament in into scare right. quotes. But the main thing that's, that's very clear is that you've got a, a real, uh, you know, opposite effect, you know, that somebody is feigning to be one way, but is really the, the archetypal, you know, uh, devil or wolf in sheep's clothing. Right. And so, I mean, uh, you know, it's, he's the archetypal angel of light. I'm coming here, trust me, I've got my rosary. Come on, little boy, little girl, you can follow me. I've got my rosary. Mm -hmm. And of course, then they tell you, now go down this path to abortion and go down this path, uh, not only uh, uh, you know, to, to transgenderism, go down this path uh, you know, where you're in abject disobedience to everything that Jesus taught about the, the beauty of children and, and, the, and the goodness of, and, and innocence of children. And he says, you know, they look into, the, you know, uh, my father's eyes. They, they look in, you know, they're, they're, their angels are looking in, in my father's eyes. And he goes on to say, uh, don't harm one of these little ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, all I can say is uh, there's a lot of harming of little ones and right. innocent ones that are going on. And I wonder just how you know, the seduction of, of sort of, trust me, I've got my rosary. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say, no, no, that's just, you know, much as I love the rosary and say it, I must tell you, um, it's almost like I've got a little piece of candy for you. Just come right into my car, mm -hmm. you know, and so forth and so on. I mean, oh right, my absolutely. gosh, uh, the seduction. Uh, you know, the, the illicit, false trust, you know, right. and eliciting it with, you know, you know, Our Lady's uh, you know, instrument of grace. Right. I mean, the it's not, not just the hypocrisy, it's Absolutely. the darkness of the act, the mm -hmm. seduction toward evil by using the very symbol of grace. Right. Ooh, it just drives right. me crazy. What did our Lord say? Uh, better uh, a millstone around your neck and throw you into yeah. the lake. 
uh, than lead a little yep. one astray. Yep. That closes out here. Yep. Uh, her point is: once society allows individuals to complain to claim an identity grounded exclusively in emotion or desire, even when the identity contradicts physical reality, as in men who think they're women or abortion providers who claim they're Catholic, no one is allowed to question someone's feelings about who they are inside. And that sums up really what we're dealing with in many cases. Yeah, well, I think, you know, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think there's intentional deception on the part of of some of these uh, oh, politicians. Yes, right. Right. Intention, you know, they're carrying the, the rosary not as an instrument of grace, but as an instrument of deception and seduction into a very dark path. And that, I think, is really that disingenuousness. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't hesitate to call it disingenuous, because if they're really praying the rosary and really did love Our Lady, they would follow what she's saying. Right. They wouldn't just carry the rosary. So there's disingenuousness writ Absolutely. large everywhere in these kinds of statements. And uh, I just think stop it all together. And for sure, if you're a person out there and, and you see this being done, uh, I, I think, you know, the, the best thing to do is to just say, you know, this is really disingenuous. It's very, very contrary to what Our Lady's desire is. How can you use the symbol she gives a, of the, the pathway to grace? Right. How can you use it right. to promote your darkness? Right. If you think you that this, this is right, then, then own up to the fact that you think it's perfectly fine and, and stop hiding behind yeah. uh, some false religious yeah. convictions. Yeah. Uh, one final story. Yeah. Um, a majority of Great Britons are in favor of making assisted suicide legal. Uh, this is a recent report, a figure that comes as British political figures are debating whether or not to toward moving towards legalizing the practice throughout the Commonwealth. The poll results come from UK polling firm Ipsos, which queried British adults in this past July. Poll respondents were asked if they believed it should be, I think this is interesting, it should be legal for a doctor to assist a patient age 18 and over in ending their life by prescribing life-ending medication that the patient can take themselves. And then it goes on and says, if certain conditions are met, uh, so I've, what conditions are those that would allow this to even go yeah. forward? And why would somebody want to help somebody who's just 18 years old to end their life? Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, as you know, there, there have been many, many studies that have been done in the uh, Journal of Pain and Symptom Management that show that when you treat um, depression and you treat physical pain adequately, and there are so many treatments for both of them today. The vast majority of physical pain can be alleviated. Yes, there are certain arthritic conditions where that does not happen, but that's very rare, and there are other kinds of treatments you can get, uh, including biofeedback, et cetera. But of course, most depressions can be treated adequately, uh, not just through chemicals, but also through therapeutic methods, and generally a combination of both. I might point out, too, that religion is very integral. The good studies of Dr. Harold Koenig at Duke University show um, that if you combine religion with other therapeutic measures, that you get a much better, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, uh, uh, result in terms of the overcoming of um, uh, symptomatic depression as well, uh, oftentimes of even clinical depression and anxiety. So, but it, it really requires uh, both. And today, again, there are 
uh, very good uh, treatments for that. Again, it's not perfect uh, mm -hmm. by any means. There are, uh, you know, depressions, anxieties that, that keep shining through or keep going through. I should not call it shining. Um, but uh, at the same time, um, when all of those treatments are there, you know, an 18-year-old should be given, uh, you know, all those treatments and then encouraged uh, through the grace of God to continue to live. But, you know, there are other, you know, the idea of, you know, killing, allowing an 18-year-old to, to, you know, get drugs to kill themselves. I mean, the, the whole thing is patently, uh, you know, filled with the eros of death. You know, the tragedy of suicide now turned into a kind of a, you know, a romance, as it were, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of, of, of death. You know, and, and if we start going down that path, we are going to turn into a culture of a despair. You cannot romanticize death over the long term and think you are not going to get basically a very tragic result of despair and depression, anxiety, and emptiness. Mm -hmm. You romanticize uh, life, you're going to get obviously consolation. You romanticize death, you are going to get desolation, you're gonna get despair, you're gonna get people to give up on life and to stop mm -hmm. the struggle, to instead of being heroic, to go ahead and turn themselves into the death hero, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, romantic epics, etc., uh, you know, of the old pagan Germans mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, Norwegians. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, my, my point that, I, you know, I would have to say is that this is such a horrible uh, trend, but it's very typical of turning everything inside out. Mm -hmm. By the way, there are really huge social consequences. It's not, you just can't look at the, the individual requesting suicide and pass radical legislation right. like the British are now proposing. And we see in Canada, right, with what's the, going on in Canada, or, just north of us. That's right. You, you, yeah, there are social consequences. For example, the minute you allow physician-assisted suicide, do not think for a moment that insurance companies are not going to alter their uh, their uh, policies to cover um, assisted suicide instead of various kinds of treatments and pain protocols that are expensive. You can be sure that um, you know this is going to happen. Do not think for a moment that there will not be people who are pressured to commit suicide. The moment physician-assisted suicide is available, you can be sure that 10% of the population who never felt any pressure to commit suicide will now be given, you know, a big huge dose of pressure to commit suicide by family members, by doctors, mm -hmm. and even by uh, media propaganda that says, look, why trouble society any further? Why cost people money? You can see what this is going to do to the handicapped community, right? Uh, to the people who, uh, uh, you know, who have physical and, and mental emotional challenges, right? They're going to be, you know, you're worthless to society, you're worthless to your family, you're a net negative, you may as well just off yourself and, you know, have done with it. And, of course, instead of helping that people, uh, helping those people to see the dignity of their life, to see the wisdom that they have to author, offer people, 
to see how important it is to getting right in my weakness is my strength as I grow weaker Christ grows stronger in me to see that in themselves to increase their faith to share their faith with others to share uh, you know their contributions uh, to others uh, and those contributions are very frequently empathetically loving gifts that they can give away of themselves it doesn't have to be you know playing tennis with the young people etc all these things are really you know the the, the materialist and pleasure-filled society has just gone you know crazy you know if level one and level two go down they see no other reason to live my tennis games off I can't really get the pleasures I wanted to get I have no other reason to live. So they ignore mm -hmm. the fact that they have contribution that they can make to others, that they have a wisdom that they can give to others. They have an empathetic love that they can share with children. They've got a faith that they can deepen in themselves, a deepened faith that they can share with other people, and, and of course, that will lead them into the, into the uh, eternity of God. And all of these things are completely ignored. But the social consequences, mark my words, if you want to create a social crisis, and this already present, uh, I believe, in Holland, um, if you're going to, you're going to get a two-fold result. Number one, 10% of people who never had any pressure to commit suicide and didn't want to be pressured to commit suicide are now going to be pressured to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to sit, sit there and defend their lives as being worthwhile when before we thought they were intrinsically worthwhile lives. And they didn't have to justify their lives by some sort of an extrinsic proof. I could still do something. I could still do you know something more. And they, they're, the whole idea of intrinsic value completely gone. Mm -hmm. right out of the culture you know transformed into the romance the eros of death that we love to sort of glorify in this culture of despair and evil because that's what it is it's an evil mm -hmm. and, and uh, you can see that's going to happen the, the second thing is all the people who have some kind of a emotional um, or, or you know physical challenge you know that they're, they're dealing with they're going to have to justify their lives now uh, you know well I need some help going to the bathroom ah, you may as well just kill yourself right. because, boy, you know, you couldn't right. have any intrinsic worth that would justify somebody helping you to go to the bathroom. You it's know, so you got to die. Very inconvenient for the yeah, rest of us there. And it's very, you know, exactly. it's uh, self-giving of yourself for the betterment of society for you to just go, right. go, go away and not You've be a burden. You've got it. With that being said, we're yeah, going to take a break right. with Father Spitzer. Much more ahead. Love. We'll continue with this. Mm -hmm of course, and uh, get to some of your questions. Thank you. Stay with us. Appreciate you staying with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. Our topic is the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church. Before we get to that, we're going to get to some of your questions here for Father Spitzer. Dear Father Spitzer, I have a friend whose brother was murdered during a robbery. Years later, the person who did the killing was also killed. My friend frequently comments on how he hopes this person is rotting in hell. I've never lost a close family member in this way, so I don't know how I would respond in the same situation. From my vantage point, I pray that the murderer repented before it was too late and escaped hell. How do I discuss with my friend God's mercy for all? Randall. Well, Randall, um, you know, I, I think the best way of, of saying that is 
um, that you hope for repentance. Uh, you know, in other words, uh, repentance is sweeter than vengeance um, because, of course, your brother who was an innocent who was taken, mm. well, he, he, that's a very, you know, he's going to wind up in heaven, mm -hmm. whereas the, uh, the, or not your brother, but the, the brother of your friend. Right. Right. But uh, on the other hand, that killer, he's got uh, an extreme need of repentance, but it is better for sure, um, you know, to have that person turn around, as Jesus says. Uh, you know, remember the, the older son uh, in um, the prodigal son story of Jesus. Uh, he represents the Pharisees, and he feels that resentment you know, my little brother, he's such a rat. He did all these things that, you know, they, they shamed my father and my family and took the inheritance, spent it on dissolute living, violating Torah, live with the pigs, and you, you took him back into the house? I can't believe it. And you never even gave me so much as a kid goat to celebrate with my friends. Mm -hmm. And so the idea, of course, is there's that desire for vengeance, to get that guy to suffer like you suffered. Right. But what Jesus says is, no, it's better if you pray for your enemies. It's better that you, you know, because when he, if he's going to repent, he's going to have to know the evil that he did. Mm -hmm. In other words, you, you don't repent for something you don't, you don't, you don't regret, right? So he's going to have to regret it. He's going to have to see it as something horribly evil, something which he terribly regrets. But he's going to have to recognize that as an evil. And if he does recognize it as an evil, don't you think he's going to be tormented by it? Don't you think you're tormented by, you know, when you realize with regret what you have done? You know, that feeling of, ah, oh, mm -hmm. you know, I wish I had never done that. That's the much better pain to feel than the pain of being eternally punished. Because, mm -hmm. of course, you've gave, given your soul over to this evil spirit. And so the idea right. then is, is definitely you don't want him uh, to, to rot in hell. You don't want him uh, to never repent. What you want for him is that God's will be done. Mm -hmm. And what God's will is, is for him to repent and to come back to God. And believe me, there's enough pain in that. But that's a pain that has a remedy. That's a pain that has a benefit uh, at the end of the day. And that benefit is that, you know, when all is said and done, God has got that person where he wants him in heaven. And don't you think when that guy is in heaven, he will definitely apologize to the other person in heaven who was his victim. Mm -hmm. And all, I think that's, that's at the end of the day, the best result, it's God's result. And of course, that's, there's pain involved in it, but it's not right. a pain that winds up being eternal. Well, it's, as you've indicated before, and we, we've talked also, if you're a person who's dealing with this, like their friend, you know, constantly bringing up about, you know, he can't let go of his own anger towards this person, mm -hmm. uh, as hard as that is, it's also something that he's suffering, that he could get rid of that suffering in his own life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've always found that praying for my enemies mm -hmm. Um, you know, who really have done some rotten things to me. But if I pray for them, two things happen. First thing is, I'm freed, as you put it so beautifully. The second thing is, is that that person, I can see that if I keep praying for them, about 50% of the time, 
their whole attitude towards me changes. Mm -hmm. And I saw that happen a couple of different times, which really um, makes me a believer mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that, you know, God can affect a transition of heart if we actually pray for those who persecute us. Right. And, um, and that's what matters. You know, St. Therese of Lisieux, you know, that wonderful incident where, she, you know, she prays for the mass murder, mm -hmm. you know, that he will repent. And that was the proper prayer. Just pray that he repents. And he didn't want to repent. You know, you can tell he's fighting himself as he's going up to the, you know, to the, uh, to the platform where the mm -hmm. guillotine is. And then finally he looks over to the priest, he takes the crucifix mm -hmm. and he kisses it. And of course, then, you know, his head is chopped off. But the main thing, though, is w before that, you can see he's fighting himself, mm -hmm. but Christ wins. And the prayers of St. Therese of Lisieux, I think, were very instrumental mm -hmm. in that. And in the end, that was a good result. Right. Don't worry, he's mm -hmm. going to have to apologize to all the people he murdered right. who are in the kingdom of heaven when he gets there. But, so, you know, uh, but uh, the, it's also understandable yeah. why someone in that situation would have that kind of anger. I always think of St. Paul's uh, yeah. talking oh, sure. about Alexander the coppersmith who did him wrong, and he was uh, interested yeah. in maybe some retribution on, on that gentleman. So oh. it, even in the scriptures, yeah. <laughs> we find it. Next yeah. up. Dear Father, oh yeah, Spitzer, no, it's, right? uh, I mean, it's legitimate to have anger, you know? right? Absolutely. No, I was just going to say it's legitimate to have right. anger, but we eventually can't let it get in the way, as Jesus says, of forgiving our right. brothers and sisters seventy times, seven times. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Dear Father Spitzer, has the church taken a stand on the issue of legalizing pot? I think it is very dangerous; it can cause people to lose motivation and productivity. Politicians in my state are crowing about how much tax money that this will bring in. But what about the costs and loss of productivity, car accidents, other negative factors? Judith. Well, Judith, um, I don't think the church has taken an official position that I know of mm -hmm. against pot, but let's face facts. Uh, the church has certainly taken a, a position against drunkenness. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and so, you know, what, why would you take pot but to get high? I mean, so it's, it's in a way, you can apply uh, the church's teaching on drunkenness to to the, you know, it's teaching on, on pot, and you can just say, well, does pot have, uh, you know, an effect, uh, first of all, on the people around you? You've identified it correctly, yes. Mm -hmm. There's a much higher increase uh, in, um, in car accidents, a much higher increase uh, in, um, uh, you know, work productivity, you know, downward turn in uh, work productivity, et cetera. In fact, I think a lot of people in uh, uh, Colorado uh, are beginning to see uh, mm -hmm. this in their own studies uh, that as you know this kind of becomes uh, completely endemic to the uh, to the culture mm -hmm. uh, and so many people but it also you know you say oh pot you know it's really harmless but if you start looking at it when you start beginning to to you know create uh, a series of uh, new pleasure um, you know, receptor, or, you know, uh, expectations, as it were, um, uh, you know, in the pleasure receptors in the brain, mm -hmm. eventually you're going to want, you know, other kinds of pleasure receptors. Uh, you know, you're going to want other kinds of hallucinogenics, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, 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 you know, 
sort of make you happy. You've gotten used to one scent. Well, I'll, you know, bump it up to, you know, ganja or something. Well, I gotta mm -hmm. bump it up. Maybe I'll take a little meth with it. And, you know, and uh, well, I, I, it won't be surprising to me if you find a much, much higher incidence of um, a heavier drug usage in uh, places uh, where pot has been legalized mm -hmm. because there's just gonna be a natural movement uh, to get the higher high. We see it not only with drugs and alcohol, we see it also with uh, with pornography, that you just don't stay at the same level. Right. You, you have to take more of it uh, in order to get, you know, to the same, uh, as it were, uh, pleasure, uh, you know, a burst mm -hmm. there. And so what's going to wind up happening is you will see even higher um, um, you know, uh, uh, work um, non-productivity in the workplace. You're going to see higher, uh, you know, car accidents, et cetera, et cetera, from stronger and stronger right. drugs. But eventually, these things do cause real permanent brain damage. They really do. It's not just the fact that your work productivity is going down. The fact is that your brain is becoming less and less acute in its functioning. The fact is, it just continues to sort of uh, etch away uh, at the brain. The same thing with an alcoholic. You say, well, he gave up after 30 years of using alcohol. Yeah, but take a look. You know, there are effects. There are absolutely effects. And the effects are not just cognitive. The effects are also emotional and so forth. And there is an arrest of affect, an affective development. <coughs> when youth are taking these kinds of things. You tend to arrest when you become an addict of anything, whether it be pot, whether it be, you say, oh, you can't be addicted to pot. <laughs> oh, yeah? I've known a few heads in my day. <laughs> Let me tell you, you sure can. Mm -hmm. These guys may say, I can get off at any time I want. Uh, do you have a joint? You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm I waiting. mean, let's I'm face facts. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, uh, well, exactly. You know, recently, I'm waiting for you to, right, to have recently, a single day without it. Yeah. Right. There were there were a couple of stories. One is, I think it was at Forest Hills in tennis, one of the players was complaining about the fact that, that she was trying to play and there was so much marijuana uh, wafting through mm -hmm. the place, it was bothering her game. And, yeah. and recently, some yeah. discussions, at least anecdotally, teachers talking about the, the number of high school students especially who basically are coming to, uh, to school stoned. Oh yeah, but I mean, eventually those are going to be your next generation of dropouts, mm -hmm. and you know they're going to be. Uh, they may not drop out in high school. They may kind of, you know, stumble over the line. But you know, eventually, uh, if they move to the to the higher grade drugs and so forth, uh, you'll see right. uh, that they too uh, will drop out of college. If they don't drop out of college, eventually they'll become very non-effective productive workers in the workplace. It, right. it has the same effects, you know, it's, as anything right. else that, that, you know, basically is meant uh, to create abnormal levels of, of pleasure, abnormal uh, levels of uh, hallucination, and uh, abnormal levels of a hallucination that interrupts the, the, the flow of mm -hmm. what we might call serious self-consciousness. Right. And so all these things, you know, you start doing this, it's going to have negative effects. Right. So, 
Uh, what about probably the, best uh, right. to stay away from it. What, what about the medical benefits that are touted here and there? You hear some of that out there, at least. To, oh, well, there is truth to that, right. but you don't have to necessarily take a hallucinogenic form mm -hmm. um, of, uh, of uh, um, you know, the, the intrinsic chemicals that are um, help to control pain in pot. Right, there, right, there is right. truth to that. Right. And so there, um, but you can take other forms of it that are not uh, hallucinogenic that will probably help you uh, control pain. They will numb those uh, pain receptors. Right. They will also, uh, you know, create, um, uh, you know, something, mm -hmm. you know, akin to a, a, a relaxation mm -hmm. that will allow that pain to be born better. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, there's a series of things that anybody can read about. Right. And some doctors do prescribe it. But you don't need to have actual pot, which is yeah. a hallucinogen. You don't need the THC. You can take this under other. CBD mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Very That's good. That's right. Let's get on to the book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, jumping to page 28. Uh, and you talk about here the strengthening the foundation for Catholic moral teaching. One of the questions I had with uh, when we we're going through this is how do we as the church stand up for these, uh, our position on our moral teaching when at least in the last 25 or 30 years, there's been a lot of things that have come out that obviously uh, would say that uh, some of the statements by certain people, not the teachings of the church per se, but individuals in the church certainly haven't been living up to the moral teachings of the church. Some cases we're hearing fairly high up people talk about the fact that some of these things might change. So, I mean, why should I take the church's teaching as being something important in my life? Well, first of all, because it originates from Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe that he's the Son of God because he rose in glory, because he gave us the Spirit of God, and we can therefore heal people in the name of Jesus, and I have seen that happen. Uh, you know, by just simply using the name of Jesus, uh, you know, I have seen healings occur. I have seen exorcisms occur in the name of Jesus. And in fact, uh, uh, I have, uh, uh, you know, used that prayer in the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. And uh, believe me, uh, it produces a reaction in a person uh, who um, is uh, possessed or obsessed by a demon. I've seen the power of that name. Do I believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I do. Well, if he taught something, or if the church is teaching something, which is a logical consequence of what Jesus taught, mm -hmm. uh, the teachings he had, uh, I have to believe that this is not only good for my eternal salvation, though it certainly is that, but also it is good for my emotional health, my marital health, my relational health, and you know, for me to be a positive interactor in the culture and in the church, mm -hmm. I need to follow him. You know, my job is not to say, oh no, the culture has a wisdom mm -hmm. that now transcends Jesus. Now the culture, you know, has done two things as I've said on many programs. Mm -hmm. They have elevated freedom to a complete freedom from position instead of a freedom for position. Autonomous freedom is the name of the game. Getting what I want, when I want it, 
instead of freedom being the power to do something noble, self-sacrificial, to develop my talents so that I can do even more of something noble and self-sacrificial, to develop the kind of self-discipline and the courage and the fortitude. That takes real discipline. That takes, you know, meaning committing myself and to having not only discipline but to saying no to things that will interrupt it. You know, if, if drugs are going to interrupt my being able to do something noble, I won't take them. If, if drugs are going to you know, if if uh, are going to do something or some mm -hmm. other habit or just becoming, you know, uh, you know, a completely uh, sexually l licensed pr promiscuous person is going to interfere mm -hmm. with my marriage and my family and my commitments to the community and so forth and so on, then I'm not going to do it. That kind of freedom for which almost constrains myself, mm -hmm. is completely antithetical to freedom from. Freedom from says, yeah, don't let yourself be constrained by anything. You know, commit your, you know, don't commit yourself to anything. Be free, be unconstrained. Get what you want when you want it. Your greatest pleasure, your greatest ego comparative desire, go for it. That'll make you happy. But freedom for says the opposite. It says, no, commit yourself if that's what's needed for a good marriage. It says, no, constrain yourself if self-constraint is going to enable you to do the noble thing and the loving thing, if it's going to enable you to do the self-sacrificial thing, if it's going to enable you to do something good for your neighbor instead of something that is wholly ego-driven and narcissistic and selfish unto the self, right? So the main thing is, you know, if, you know that's going to require constraining yourself. You know, as Plato, the pagan Plato said 400 years before Jesus, right? The whole point is uh, here, yeah, you're going to have to have temperance. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to say no to a lot of pleasures. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not a Christian saying this. Plato's saying this because that's the only way you can do the good. You can't just be someone who goes out there, does anything, you know, takes any drug, you know, just goes and, you know, uh, has sexual uh, relations with everybody, ignores, you know, the, the, the requirements of family and require the, 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 the rights of other human beings whose wives you're affecting or whose, uh, you know, uh, daughters you're affecting or whatever it may be. Plato says, no, you can't do that. You know, you're, you're going to have to constrain yourself to be a good citizen, to be a good father, to be a good teacher, to be a good man or a good woman. You gotta be able to constrain yourself. Now that notion of freedom for, that says constrain yourself, or just stick to it. Even if you're fighting every obstacle and everybody's fighting you, <clears throat> you feel the fear of somebody opposing you, keep going. You know, that discipline that says constrain yourself, control your fear, don't run away, don't go for the pleasure, do the hard thing, stick to it, get over the hurdle, right? That kind of self-constraint, why athletes do it all the time right. to get to their goal. What Plato is saying is, and of course Jesus, what the church is saying is, <coughs> we got to do this. Now, our culture <clears throat> is going completely counter to Plato's temperance and fortitude and courage. <clears throat> Essentially, what's why, uh, what we have going on here is a kind of a hedonism mm -hmm. that is being uh, taught with reckless abandon and even practiced with reckless abandon. 
And if you keep doing this, and we don't have any freedom for in our society, are you going to get any generativity? You're going to get any, you know, uh, emotional intimacy? Are you really going to get any true commitments that do the noble thing that, ha you know, where I believe, you know, in a set of values that I give my life for, that I <clears throat> give my life <coughs> for my family, you know, Today, it's a challenge to give up pleasures for your family. <clears throat> you, know, our, you know, all intents and purposes, you know, if we look at all this, I can tell you think, one thing right now, we are in real trouble. Mm -hmm. We don't even have the four cardinal virtues of the pagans, the Stoics. How in the world are we going to survive with that philosophy? But that's just half of the problem. The other thing is the sexual revolution. So you have the autonomous freedom from revolution, and you got the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. And you, you got it in the 60s. It came, you know, not just because of Vietnam. It came because that's where the culture was headed. Mm -hmm. Our materialism, our wealth, and our, our ego comparative advantage, <clears throat> the fact that we had become progressively more detached from religion, even though the, uh, the so-called greatest generation had a considerable amount of religion, there was even detachment in the mm -hmm. great generation. And as the wealth increased, level one, and the ego comparative, you know, opportunities increased level two. And as religion got detached from these things, uh, you know, to get the, the ego comparative advantage, to get the promotion, to get, you know, to the higher level, to get to the, you know, to get my, my vanity gratified, et cetera, all these things began to happen. We began to detach from religion. We began to detach from family. We began to detach from the ethical principles that stood in our way of getting our autonomous freedom and our pleasure fulfilled and our narcissistic and vain, you know, um, uh, needs and desires fulfilled, right? All these things, suddenly uh, we find ourselves in a culture uh, by the late 1960s, uh, you know, where make love not war was thought to be a virtue, but the love that they were talking about was the most superficial love that anybody could possibly, uh, you know, uh, uh, consider. And, and at the same time, it was overwhelming our culture. Mm -hmm. And it just went right into the 70s, into the 80s. The detachment from religion continued. The Instagram and the Facebook and social medias just stoked it up. So now everybody's selfieing themselves to death and, uh, you know, literally selfieing themselves to the neglect of, of not only their principles and their religion, but their families. And, of course, you know, you look at all these websites, which are just so not just sexually indulgent mm -hmm. but just you know almost narcissistically indulgent websites you think this culture is a healthy culture I, of course nobody watching this program would think that mm -hmm. but i mean that the the idea though is is that it's not a healthy culture mm -hmm. it's exceedingly dark and if i could write up a paul harvey if i were the devil this is what i would do scenario i'd probably write one that looks very much like this culture because i think uh, this culture truly is going to disembowel itself if we don't stop it, mm -hmm. if we don't regain our religion. I'm, look, I'm an optimist. I mean, everybody's told me that all my life. You know, I mean, one guy leaving the Society of Jesus said, hey, Bob, you're an optimist and I'm a pessimist. You'll be happier than me, but I'll be right more often. Well, he mm -hmm. wasn't right more often. I was right far more often in my optimism. But I can tell you this right now. You just can't keep pushing the buttons of pessimism. You can't be pushing the buttons of narcissism. You can't be pushing the buttons of darkness. You can't be pushing the buttons of sexual life. 
organizations you can't be pushing the buttons of autonomous freedom from and not having any freedom for you can't be pushing the buttons of ignore nobility and ignore virtue and just simply go for what you want all the gusto in life you can't be pushing those right. buttons and think that you're going to have anything left of love in a culture do you think you can have a culture without love do you think you can have a culture without family do you think that you can really have a culture without god without religion without ethical principles without all the bedrocks of culture if you don't have those things if we lose all those things at the end of the day what will be left right. of us i can tell you this right now not much we'll we will tear ourselves to shreds we'll be hitting the off button and that will be it and of course yep. this is uh the culture end of, our of program death. and so uh, if you give us your blessing on the way out the door <laughs> father that'd be great Boy, that went fast. Okay, bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may Almighty God bless you and send His Holy Spirit down upon you that you might see in your life not only the noble for yourself and your family, but how to bring the truly noble, the truly noble in God, the truly noble in your Catholic faith, the truly noble in ethics and principles into the world around you, your friends, your family, and above all, your workplace and even the society and the culture so that you might with relentless courage and fortitude continue to try and affect it unto the good of this country, the good of the world, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next week. And don't forget that Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are always available through our EWTN Religious Catalytes. That's just some of them we show on the screen. Next week, we continue with the book, Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, getting more in-depth. EWTN Bookmark this week is three books, including Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness is one of them, by Sebastian Walsh. Father Sebastian Walsh, we're hoping he does a series for us sometime in the future. Watch the show, you'll know why we'd like that. Also, a pilgrimage mass for the world, Fatima Apostolate coming from Ireland from the International Eucharistic and Marian Shrine in Knock, and that is Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time from Ireland right here on EW10. We'll see you next time in Father Spitzer's Universe. Be well.